stop a second. What do you picture when you hear the word positioning? Maybe you're thinking of the orientation of your desk, or you're thinking of the space between the objects on your desk. Perhaps you're thinking of the way that your body is sitting while you're listening to this podcast. If you're in marketing and positioning in your mind is lumbar support and furniture, you probably won't have a very long career. In actuality, positioning refers to the space that a brand occupies in the minds of customers and how it differentiates between the products of its competitors. And no one, and I mean no one, speaks as well on this topic as April Dunford. She has helped position the likes of IBM and Huawei, as well as many other significant tech businesses, helping companies grow and get acquired multiple times over. She's an international keynote speaker on not only positioning, but also market strategy and new product introductions. And she didn't write the book that defines positioning because she wrote the book on how to nail positioning. But she almost went down a different career path that would have taken her in a completely different direction than tech. All that and more coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we showcase the people in the trenches actually doing the work. On today's episode, April Dunford covers what positioning is, the dissonance between revenue timelines and marketing priorities, category creation and category adoption, as well as how to actually position your product. And once you finish this episode, your career in tech will have a new lease on life. How how'd you get here? How'd you how'd you like I know you I know your I know your business and I know that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a long road. I know, but like where where would you want to be when you were a kid? Like where did you grow up? Do you know up? what's funny? I yeah, so I um I grew up in a really small town, yeah. like super small. Sure. And um, what's small? Like small, like I was the only person in my university in my class that went to university. Nice. Like, like, like yeah. And then my parents thought I was stupid. They're like, "Why would you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a dumb idea. Yeah, how much yeah, does yeah. that cost? And how will you pay for it?" Yeah, that was the conversation awesome. we had. Thought I wanted to be a doctor because that's what the smart kid in the small town does. That's what right? yeah, your parents are like, go be a doctor. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you look around and who's making money? That guy's making money, right? Yeah. So you're like, I'll be that guy. And then uh, and then I, I actually did a couple of years of pre-med and just luck weirdness would have it. Yeah. I ended up going to the best tech school in the country, in Canada. In Waterloo? Waterloo, Waterloo, University yeah. of Waterloo. But I'm doing pre-med. Yeah. And the only reason I did it is because they had co-op, and that's how I was going to pay for it. So you go to school four months, and then you work four months. So I did it because I was broke. And then, But I had always been doing tech. Like, I wrote code when I was in high school yeah. and stuff. So I was always doing techie stuff. And then I had this moment when I was there, and I was like, what the frick am I doing with this doctor thing? I don't even want to be a doctor. I'm going to kill people. I'm going to be a shitty doctor. <laughs> like, I had one of those. And then I, had a, and then I fought my way into engineering, and I transferred into systems design engineering, which was really hard to do because... Yeah. It's like the fancy pantsy engineering school, yeah. like super hard to get in. But I had awesome marks and high school stuff, so I fought my way in. Yeah. And then, but but even when I was in engineering, I was a bit like, I don't really know what I'm going to do with this at the end. And when I graduated, most folks were going to software companies, and I got super lucky. Like my friend was working at a startup, and this was like we didn't even call them startups. That's how yeah. long ago it was. Like there was no venture capital. Like, and we just called them little companies. So my friend was working at this little company 
and uh, and they had an open job for uh, product marketing, yeah. and the requirements were, and these were the requirements, you need to be able to write SQL queries, yeah. which I had that, and you need to be not afraid of public speaking because they wanted you to you know, do trade do shows and demos and, stuff. Yeah. and stuff like that. So I was customer evangelist yeah. and did that. And fast forward a year and a half later, that company got acquired by Sybase, great big database company in the Valley. And a little bit after that, my boss left. I was last man standing. <laughs> Hey, and they, and, this they, out. and yeah. they gave me the job. Like, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, like, thank God I did. That, that was the one thing I learned in engineering, particularly engineering at that school, yeah. is you get a bit of this attitude, like, how hard could it be? Yeah. Just figure it out. Can't be harder than mechanics of deformable solids, man. That was hard. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> Barely passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I just ran with it. I was like, I'll just figure this out. Nobody knows this anymore than me. Like, yeah. I always had that attitude. I was like, these people don't know what they're doing either. We're going to figure this out. And I had super smart people on my team. And then that worked out really good. Like, that product I worked on went on to be a billion-dollar business for Sybase. Like, in the, like, it's still around. It's called iAnywhere. It's an embeddable database for mobile devices. It's amazing. And so that was so good. I was just kind of like, this is my jam now. Yeah. It's my jam. This is my jam. And so then when I left there, I went to another startup as VP Marketing. We grew. We got acquired. I left. I did that seven yeah. times. When you think about positioning... What is positioning? What is positioning not? I know that that's something that you yeah. start off with because I think that, you know, if you ask 10 people what positioning is who haven't seen your talk, it's very, oh, it's, it's a over. positioning statement. It has to do with the, like, I think it's just how you perceive or how you right. want people to perceive the product. Well, like, no wonder we suck at doing it, yeah. right? Like, we can't even agree. We can't even agree what it is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so, so, you know, when I first became a marketer, you know, because I have an engineering background. So when I first became a marketer, everybody's first introduction to positioning is this book by these guys, Rees and Trout, Positioning the Battle for Your Mind. It was written in 1982, before the internet. Yeah. <laughs> prehistoric, prehistoric. Prehistoric sass, I like it. <laughs> prehistoric sass. And that book does a masterful job of describing what positioning is. And in fact, that's all it does in that book, is describe what it is, give you a whole bunch of examples. Here's what it looked like, position this way, position that way. Didn't tell you how to do it. The concept was so exciting that everybody just ran with it. But because Reason Trout never told you how to do it, mm. nobody knew what to do with it. So it became, the, it became conceptual, like it was just a concept. Mm. But, but in fact, it's, it's, it has to be operational. Yeah. Like we need to know how to do it. So when I started out, I was like, okay, so I read the Reason Trout book. I'm super excited. I'm like, holy cow, like when you take a step back and think about it, it defines, positioning defines who's my competitor, how I'm different, how I'm better than my competitor, who I'm better for, so who I'm going after. And, and all of that kind of comes together into this concept of what market am I actually trying to win? And so positioning is all that stuff together. Now you think about that in a startup context, like Reason Trout, if you read the book, all their examples are like great big companies, right? Yeah. It's like Avis and Coke and stuff. And so in their examples, they're talking about one product at billions of revenue, multi-product company. And so in there, there's a, you know, there's somebody that owns that product and that person doing that. But if you think about a startup, like that's the founder yeah. is figuring that stuff out. Like, like if they don't figure that out, you're not going to survive. Sure. <laughs> that's a 
<laughs> so it feels like kind of the whole definition of the business almost, right? Like, who are we? What do we do? Why should anybody buy my stuff? Where do we win? Where do we lose? Like all this stuff, it's everything. When the revenue is going down or stagnating, right? And then you come in and you're basically talking about positioning, right? right? Like how, that's gotta be some distance, right? Because when they wanna hire you, they're like, hey, fix the revenue now. I don't know what this positioning thing is. Well, so it's way easier for me to do this as a consultant than it was in-house. Like, so my process in-house would be like this. So I get hired, they're like, hey, marketing lady, wave your magic wand, cook up some revenue. Yeah, Yeah, our product's perfect. Existing customers love it. All we got is this front of the funnel problem. Just fix that. Would you just fix that? And I'd come in, and usually by about week three, if the positioning was bad, you'd see it, right? So I'd be, you know, sitting on calls with the sales team, listening to customers, going on ride-alongs. If they were doing face-to-face meetings, you go on ride-alongs with the sales team, you're looking them in the eye, and you're like, oh, yeah, man, nobody gets this. What, what are some of those signs? Well, so the big sign you get, the two big signs you'll get is the, the, the first one is if you've got happy customers. So you go talk to the existing customers, and they freaking love it. They're like, oh my God, this is great, we love it, you know, you know, tell all our friends about it, it's amazing, it's amazing, amazing. But you see first meeting with a customer, first call, first meeting with a customer, and the customers are like, no clue. Like, so the rep pitches the thing and they're like, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Pitch it again. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the rep's got to do it again and again and again. And, it, and so that's the first sign, is it's like some in the way you're talking about it doesn't match with what the customer thinks it should be, or you're, you know, you're triggering assumptions and the customer's like, this makes no sense. Like this, like it just doesn't match. That's the, that's the first big sign. The other big sign is your reps will pitch it and they'll go, yeah, yeah, I kind of get it. So it's, it's like a CRM. And you're like, no, we're not, we're not, you know, or they'll be like, oh yeah, so, so you're sort of like chat and no, we're not, you know, so so again, something in the way you're pitching it is making customers draw a line to a market you're not even in and comparing you to things that you don't even think are your competitors. Yeah. And so there's this, again, disconnect. So you can see customers in the room. Like if you can do it face-to-face is the best because you can see customers making this face like, why are you talking about that? I thought you were, and you were, yeah. yeah. The worst part is it's startups for the most part I don't know who taught startups to do this, but startups for the most part, first meeting with a customer, they will jump right into a demo. No setup, mm. no this is what we are, no nothing. They'll just be like, let oh me show hi, you the software. hi, yeah. we're just, let me show you the software. And, it, and you can see these customers in the first 10 minutes are like, so you're like a Sierra email, so you're, so what, what are you again? Like, yeah. and you can just, and they're not paying attention to a thing you're saying yeah. in this demo because they're just trying to get their arms around, what bucket do I put you in? And then I can relax and pay attention to this demo, but I'm looking for clues. I'm literally in there looking for clues and and your rep is saying blah, 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 blah. And they're not hearing a thing. They're just, they're just like, I'm just trying to get what this is. So where does this fit in my stack? And do you integrate and how do you, and you can just see them. Whereas you could literally spend two minutes doing setup saying, look, we're this, and you know we solve this problem. You probably solve this problem in this way now, 
And we don't think that's the right way to do it. In a perfect world, we think if you're really going to solve this problem correctly, you would have this without this. You could do this without this. You could do this without this. Literally set up two minutes, and then you do demo. Mm. Then you do demo. Then everybody's like, okay, I got it. I, I got it. I get, yeah. I get what's going on. Okay, now show me the details. I use this analogy a lot when I'm doing yeah. workshops. It's like opening scene of a movie. Like, you ever notice, like, American movies? Opening scene is always the skyline shot. Sure, sure, sure. Because it's like, where the hell are we? <laughs> and it's yeah. like, oh, Empire State Building. I know where we are, right? Yeah. It was like, oh, Golden Gate Bridge. I got it, right? Because the story that, take place, that takes place in New York is not the story that takes place in San Francisco. Mm. These are totally different stories. Sure. So they always start with, like, City shot, neighborhood shot, character, yeah. right? All American movies start like this. And it's because you got to orient me in the story before I can relax and pay attention to the plot. Yeah. Otherwise, I got to be like, okay, where are we? Okay, what's going on? What time period is it sure. is? Whatever. Like, and once, it, once I get oriented, then it's like, okay, now I know where I am. Now I'm going to relax. It's the same thing. And that's yeah. context setting. And we're terrible at this in startups of... You know, we go in, and, and it's it's our own baggage, right? We're like, well, I know what this thing is. It's just, it's you should just know it should it's be just, easy. It's just obvious, right? Is it better, and I know this gets into, like, the, you know, the, the evolution of positioning. Is it better to latch on to something that already exists, or is it better to create something new? It's always better to latch on to something that exists, always. Because I could say hey, I got this robot, and it's for manufacturing plants, and it does X, Y, Z. But I told you it's a robot, you got a picture in your head, sure. right? Or I can say, I got this thing, it's a flu flomer, and it's for manufacturing plants, and it drives around, and you're like, fuck, it's a flu flomer. Yeah. Dude, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. That's literally what you're doing when you're doing category creation. Sure. Like When you're doing category creation, you can't say it's a flu flomer. Like, yeah. I gotta explain why a flu flomer deserves to exist, and, and how do I do that? I do it by telling you what exists now. I say, look, we got robots and we got self-driving cars. And what we really need is an amalgamation of robots and self-driving cars. That doesn't exist. So I made a thing and it's a flu flomer. Even when I'm doing something yeah. from scratch, I got to relate it to something I already know because sure. that's how we work, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to give me some context. So I basically have to make flu flomer mean something. And that is so hard. Yeah. Like it's so hard. So even if I have to borrow a concept from another, from a completely different market, mm. like that example of self-driving cars is is an example of a school company in Canada. Um, they, they started out as they're robot guys. They make robots, yeah. right? Except they're robots in a manufacturing plant. It drives around. It delivers things from one place to another. And their problem is is that they're selling to the manufacturing plants. They've been buying robots forever. And when they think robot, they think, you know, static thing, sure. you know. And their thing is like a marvel of artificial intelligence and sensors and mapping. And it freaking drives around. It's amazing, right? So they're going in and they're saying robot. And everybody's like, oh, robots. Yeah. You know, we got robot vendors. and You're not one of them. And, you know, you guys are too expensive for a robot. We know why you're so expensive because robots are cheaper. And so what they did was they started describing the thing as a self-driving car for manufacturing. Now, is that a new category? I guess so. But I mean, they're stealing self-driving car yeah. to anchor you somewhere. Totally. 
right? So it, yeah. so they're like self-driving car for manufacturing. And then you're like, oh, of course it drives around. Of course it is mapping and sensors. Yeah. Of course it costs more money than this yeah. thing. Like, and all of a sudden everything that's cool about that makes sense. So it's like a self-driving road, like self-driving car, you know, for manufacturing, right? Yeah. That's not, you know, a G2 crowd category. That's not like a oh, Gartner yeah. wave, right? And, and, yeah. and maybe that's not necessary. And I guess that's a little bit of the core of my question is like, yeah. Do you need to be able to put other people in your category to have a category well, or so, to have your positioning? Right, or does it matter? Like, so like, the thing is, is you like by definition, the category does not exist until it exists in the minds of customers. Mm -hmm. If it exists in the minds of customers and you ain't the only one there, mm -hmm. you just aren't. So the only time I've ever done a successful category creation exercise, it was so fun, yeah. um, but I was at IBM. And like, and you need IBM heft to do this. Yeah. And so how we did it was we, we were enterprise software. So we locked ourselves in a room with Gardner and Forrester and threw money at them yeah. for six months. The analyst relations right? stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and they said, that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And we said, what well, would make it less stupid? And they said, well, we need a couple of customers that prove they need this and this. We're like, come back in two weeks. <laughs> Here's the thing. And we, we just ground them down. Yeah. And eventually what happened is they agreed with us that this was going to be, this was an emerging category. And they blew up three magic quadrants and made a new one and said, we're not going to track these things separately anymore. It's all coming together in this new thing. And I'm telling you, there were a whole bunch of startups caught super flat footed when we did that yeah. because they were all sitting in the leader's quadrant of these other things. And yeah. then we blew it up. And then all of a sudden, Gartner out of nowhere yeah. comes out with this new quadrant. And the only person up in the leader's quadrant is us. Yeah, <laughs> and you can do a move like that when you're big, yeah. right? But all the other examples I've seen of category creation, um, the most common one is where is sort of like Qualtrics, right? Where where they take the they take the category that they're already leading in, mm -hmm. and they say, you know what, this category has changed, mm -hmm. and they bust out the walls of it, yeah. and basically stretch it sure. to mean something bigger because they need their market to be bigger, mm -hmm. and it's good for them. And we're the leader here, so why wouldn't we be the leader here? All we're doing is stretching yeah. it out. And so this thing between we're surveys, we're surveys for more and more stuff. Now we're this, you know, experience, yeah, whatever yeah. it was like, you know, we can bust it out. That's the easiest way to do it. Sometimes you have one that is just, it's literally an idea whose time has come mm -hmm. and it's, and it's, it's going to emerge one way or the other yeah. and you're going to ride that wave. So the example I use in my book is this one of marketing automation. So if you talk to Mark Organ, the yeah. founder of Eloqua, he'll talk about how he looked at marketing teams and, you know, and this was back at a prehistoric age. Yeah, I think yeah, it yeah. might have been the 90s. Yeah. And, he, and he looked at, no, it wasn't actually. It would have been like early 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he looked at it and what he saw was there was the marketing team, but there were these weird marketers that spent all their time in the spreadsheet and they didn't do things. They were all numbers people and they didn't even call themselves marketers. They were demand gen and they worked directly with sales. And he's like, that's cool. That's going to be a thing. I'm going to make demand gen automation. That was his thing. I'm going to make software for these people because I think there's going to be more of these in the future. And then eventually what happened is he just rode that wave like it, it like he was early on a trend, 
demand gen was a thing. Everybody started doing demand gen. Then everybody got demand gen fever. Next thing you know, we're all, you know, we're all numbers people. We're all in the spreadsheets. We're all doing all this stuff. And he's right there in the middle with the software to make it happen. Sure. And then it got so big that it became marketing. Yeah. And then he said, well, I'm not demand gen automation anymore. I'm marketing automation because it's everything. And, and, but he like, that could have not happened. The way you should do it is sure. you have some data that, that makes you believe that this category is gonna emerge regardless. Mm. And I'm gonna surf that thing right in. If you gotta force it to be a thing, yeah. that's harder. Hard. That, well, I, I think it's possible, because I did it at IBM. Sure. We literally forced it to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. We just mountains yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah. But we could do it because, yeah. you know, it, like we did 280 million in our first year launching a couple of crummy products that we already had that had never really made any revenue. Because we had a billion dollar target. Our target was billion bucks in five years. That was our target. So there was no way we were going to do that without essentially making a new category and dominating the category and then making sure the whole market believed that was a thing. That's like, but, those are like crazy, like, that's a crazy situation. Well, the crazy thing was, <laughs> the goal was find us a market where we can make a billion bucks in five years. And so we're like, all right, we're gonna have to cook something up. And then, oh, and oh by the way, we're gonna give you a couple of products, but they're stinkers. Yeah. Right? So we're like, okay, we got these two, which yeah. combined to like 8 million annual revenue. We're like, oh, we're gonna go from eight <laughs> to a billion. So obviously we're gonna make some acquisitions. Yeah. So we looked at it and we said, okay, you know, and then we, we looked at different things. And so finally we put this, we put this circle around and mm -hmm. we said, you know what? This should consolidate. Then we looked at all the data and we're like, you know what? It would kind of make sense that these things could come together in a platform. Mm. And so that was our thesis. And then we tested it out and we did a bunch of stuff. And we talked to a lot of customers, like if this came together in a platform, how would you see it working inside your bank or your sure. insurance company, right? And the customers were excited about it conceptually. So then we said, okay, you know, if this was a platform, what would we have to do to build that? And we had these two crummy products. Then we looked at it and we said, well, we could acquire this and this and stick it together and then we'd have something. So then we go to the head of software group and we're like, okay, how about, you know, we want to do these, these acquisitions and whatever, whatever. And he's like, no, you don't. And he says, okay, look, if you can launch this thing and with the products that you've got, drive a quarter million, like 250 million was the goal. Yeah. Then you come to me and I'll, I'll, I'll we'll, yeah. we'll look at doing an acquisition. So the goal was 250 and we did 280. And then we went and we did six acquisitions and, and then I left, I don't know. Like I think, yeah. I think they made the billion, but I think it took an extra year, I think it was six years. Great. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible track But if, track it, but if you yeah. look at it, like one of the, the, acqu the acquisitions we did while I was there, we did four little ones, but we did one that was yeah. over a billion dollars. Like it was a big deal. Like it wasn't a small acquisition. Yeah. And again, so I don't know, like you get little companies come to me and say, we're going to create a new category. And I'm like, are you nuts? If you're providing the right context, but that context isn't a category, is that okay? Yes, because I think people get a bit hung up on this category idea. Sure. Like, it, like it's a bit like saying self-driving car for manufacturing. Yeah, That's exactly. not a, really a category, sure. right? Like, but I'm, I'm essentially what I'm saying is I'm in the self-driving car category, and I'm the manufacturing piece of that. Does anybody even know that's a yeah, thing? No. Yeah, yeah. But all I'm doing is what matters is 
that when I say this is what I do, mm. that I, you're sparking the right comparisons. Sure. I put you in the right mindset. And, and ideally, great positioning sets up the right comparables where they say, of course you're not gain sight. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. Right. So if putting you in the category bumps you up against gain sight and that's not you at all, then it's the wrong category. Sure. It's, it's got to be a category where everybody. Well, because we don't want to get into the situation where we're like, oh, so like gain sight. We're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We do this and then we do this and we right. do this other thing. But but that's the whole point of market category. The whole point of saying yeah. we are a blah sure. is to take everything that's different and exciting and differentiated and awesome about you mm. and Put it in a spot where it makes sense. Yeah. Where everybody goes, of course. So of course it drives around. Yeah. Of course it's got artificial intelligence. Of course it's got mapping and sensors. Yeah. It's a freaking self-driving car, of course. So it's, That's it's, what you it's want. It's better to do self-driving robot than trying to force, like, yeah. flim-flam. Flim-flammer. Flim yeah, yeah. like, yeah. So even if you took a thing, like, so, you know, like, if, if we use customer success as an example, right? If I say... I'm customer success automation. Sure. Well, I know what customer success is. So it's a different category. So customer success automation, I can kind of, I know what marketing automation is. Yeah. It's probably like that for yeah, customer yeah, success. Yeah. That's an easy one. Yeah. Where, but again, it's not like saying I'm a flim flammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, the number of companies that I work with that are literally out in the market saying I'm a flim flammer, I'm like, dude. Do you think, do you think <laughs> like, like if I look at Eloqua, right? He's walking around saying, I'm demand gen automation. The if you didn't have demand gen people, you have no idea what that is. Yeah. So the majority of the market was like, the frick's demand gen? Yeah. I don't even know what demand gen is. Yeah. But his people did. He, his people knew because he was sure. selling demand gen people. Well, and then when, he went, when they went to marketing automation, well, like by the time they got there, that, right? By the time they got there, everybody knew what demand gen was. And he was basically making a play to say, what else is there, people? Yeah. And, and the market was already there. The market was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Multi-product is coming a th becoming a thing, right? Where you used to have, you know, HubSpot would just be the marketing automation company and that was like uh, the future, right? And then they, you know, added the CRM or now everything's a CRM, but they added the sales side. Right. Then they had the services side. And then you had like the Zoho's of the world, um, Freshworks, Teamwork.com, where they have one, you know, they start with one, so like fresh desk, you know, right. the help desk. Then they kind of expand and they have like these 12 different products that are all in different categories. Then they have like the head category. Well, I, I would or argue no. what they're doing is, is you know, they're, they're essentially, I guess that's what it is. They're stitching the categories together. But they're essentially like, you know, you do invoicing, it's pretty narrow. Like mm -hmm. eventually you're going to, bump into the end of that yeah. like and so it's like and all all the accounting guys got to do is make better invoicing and they're gonna take you out yeah so you're you know if, if you're doing a thing that isn't isn't super defensible and you want to keep growing and you know you're trying to be 100 million revenue yeah. 100 million revenue just invoicing is it gonna be hard you're gonna yeah. have to sell me the bigger thing and you see that with like wave account like i'm from toronto right so you see it with Fresh books, yeah. right? Invoicing, and now they're they've expanded thing. everything. Yeah. You see it with with Wave Accounting getting into payroll and all this other stuff. It's just been acquired by yeah. Block. We used Wave payroll. That was our see? first payroll oh, product no. for a while. Well, not anymore. But we used to. 
My, my question is, like, this is a little selfish. So we, what we've found at, at ProfitWell, and I don't know how well you know our products, but we have a, a free subscription metrics tool. Yeah. And then we have this, this product called Retain, and we have some others, but I'll, I'm going to talk about that for a second. And what we've struggled with is it's kind of in customer success, mm-hmm. but when people think of customer success, they think of Gainsight. They think right. of basically HubSpot for retention, right? right. And we're kind of the, no, 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 we don't do all that, that, you know, setting up your workflows and stuff. We do all this automated stuff. And so what we struggle with is like, so do we say, hey, we're customer success, but automated? Like, is that our self-driving robot? Self-driving car for whatever. Or is it? The the trick to this is, is again, you got to think about it like context setting. So you got to think about what are the features and capabilities that really make you different from how people would solve the problem in another way. What if it's a problem that they don't normally solve? They just kind of like don't do or they forget or they put it on back burner. Oh, they do it. They do it. They just they just do it shitty. Okay. They do it with some spreadsheets or something. Or they don't or they just kind of look at it at the end of it and yeah. they wing it. Is that how they do it? Like how well, do they A lot of folks well, so that's the other problem we have. Credit card failures. Like, you don't, you're not thinking about that every day. And when I tell you, it's like pet insurance. When I tell you, like, hey, by the way, this is a problem, right. and I get you to look at it, you're like, oh, right. shit, yeah, we got, like, an email or something set up. That's right. And we're like, no, 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 we can, like, solve it. Right. But then we're like, we're not in a, like, we don't feel like we're in a category. So we're, uh, we're like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. do we but kind of force us into customer, we're like a tangential customer success product? Are we right. something brand new? But this yeah. is the thing. So when I do this as a workshop yeah. to clients, right? Like my process is we start with, let's take your best, best customers. Like people that closed fast, people that sure. kind of intuitively got what you did, people that, you know, kind of felt the pain the most, sure. right? And then you say, what were they doing before you came up? And I bet you it's like we clobbed together a bunch of things. Our payment provider did a little thing. Yeah. And then we had another thing. Once a month we would go in and fix some shit. Yeah. Or we do whatever, right? So there's... Yeah. And then you say, okay, compared to that, what have we got? And sure. it's automation. It's whatever. Yeah. You've got a bunch of features, right? Sure. Those features map to value. Then you say, all right, that's my differentiated value. What context do I put that in that makes it obvious for my people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it may be, like, I don't think it's customer success, mm-hmm. but maybe it is, right? But when you go through it in that order, mm-hmm. it often becomes obvious where you're like, ah, we actually, the thing we're trying to highlight is not the giant, giant list of things, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually the nut of it is this. Mm-hmm. And if the nut of it is that, then that makes us payments or that makes mm-hmm. us revenue or that makes us, Something. something. I don't know what it is, but yeah. because I don't know your business that yeah, well. But yeah, if yeah, we yeah. do it, and you'd be surprised in the companies that I work with, where we get to when we get down to that value part, that it's like, holy shit! Like we knew that was our value, but we were adding other things in, and we had a bunch of other things. Sure. We never actually looked at it that way, and then it becomes obvious what they were, what you know, what they are, and it's different. A lot of times it's a big shift yeah. from where they thought they were before. In the companies where I worked for the most part, we would go to market with a baked-in, essentially positioning thesis without ever thinking of it that way. Mm. It was just like, well, we're building this thing and we're going to win, you know, and it's it's better than these other guys because of this. And we're going to win for these reasons. 
And therefore, this is what we are. Like, of course, we're a database. What else could we be? Of course, we're CRM. What else could we be? That's what we set out to build. Yeah. But we actually made those decisions, like for the most part in startups, those decisions get made unconsciously. Yeah. And so what happens is that either works or it doesn't. Mm. And if it doesn't, sometimes you get lucky and you notice, hey, it, this didn't work, but there are these weird bunch of users that are using it in a way that we never imagined. And what if we ran it that? Mm. And then sometimes you'll do a shift and it works that way. Other times, like... You go into market, it works fine, and then shit happens. New competitor comes in, or state of technology changes, and your thing that at one point was really differentiating isn't differentiating anymore. And then you get in a, and then you get stuck, and you don't know how to shift gears because you don't know how you got there in the first place. So most of the companies where I came in, I would come in as the first senior marketing person in the company, and generally the reason they're hiring me is because revenue's not looking so good. Mm. It was, and then it wasn't. Or it was, and now, well, we can't quite figure out how to scale it. And then you dig into it and say, ah, you, you guys are all talking about this thing like email, mm. but customers think of it like chat. Like if they weren't using you, they'd be using chat. So why are we email? Mm. And so you'd be asking these big questions that, and the answer to that question is usually, well, that's what we've always been. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we set out to build. A huge thank you to April Dunford for giving her time to protect the hustle. With her help, you now have some amazing tools that you can adopt within your own subscription company. To recap, in this episode, we learned about what positioning is as well as what it isn't, how fixing revenue and positioning go hand in hand, category creation and adoption, and of course, some very useful tactics on how to actually position your products. Thanks for watching and make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.